is New Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. My name is P.G. Basilthorpe Stilton, no A.E., and you are listening to the ARC Light Programme. Yes, I'm still here, and still raking in the guineas. Now pay attention, as I need to read this to you. Next to be broadcast is another reading of an episodic nature in the long-running Slumber Time Stories series, so beloved of peasant, mayor, and minor royalty. Well, I find that hard to believe. Before that, though, we've just enough time to play. Can you guess what it is that I am describing? Now, do not deviate from your current condition of rapt attention, as what follows are the so-called instructions of compliance. I will intone audibly three suggestions of the result. If you are competent and deserving, you can obtain for your personal gratification three shillings. I'm not reading the rest of that. It's all drivel. Yes, what? Who are you? I'm P.G. Basilthorpe Stilton, no A. Multi-award winning journalist, writer and think tank contributor. Whom might you be? I'm Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb. It's a bit unfortunate, but I've forgotten my studio key. Can you get Mabel to let me in? I can't really hear you, caller as I'm a little deaf in my right ear, and my left ear was chewed off by an otter on opium. However, it's my understanding that I am to communicate to you, via verbal utterances, the following statement of potential participation. Are you ready to play Can You Guess What It Is That I Am Describing? No, you muppet, I'm not. Uh, Just get Mabel, will you? Good. So for three shillings, although I've no idea why anyone would do anything for such a paltry fee as three shillings, here is your first clue, which, I should add, I rewrote myself as the original ones weren't up to my literary standard. Oh, you great twit. Just put Mabel on. When storms blow thrice... And the bats of hell festoon the rice. Who cometh to your aid upon winged pontoons of mice? Do what? I'm not reading it again. Thank God for that. Mabel! 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 Second clue. For the barely worth mentioning sum of a one single shilling and three pennies. Whatever they are. Aghast of time and space, one roameth, barely cognizant of the indignities of the chafing of Saturn's rings. Are you drunk? That doesn't even rhyme. Mabel! 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 Oh, blow this regimen, naval reservist. I'm going to break the window and get in that way. No, you are incorrect. Third clue, if you can call it that. Eight pence, in addition to half a pauper's pretty penny. 
conflagrations of a semi-sentient demon mixed with the weeping mortal flesh. More thing with time betwixt strata of an unholy, vengeful god. I vent for you my one true winged anthropomorphic tesserae, unbeloved of the one true cataclysm. I'm not reading it again. I'm assuming I should take that as a non-compliant response. Are you a time waster of the lowest... What? Hello? Right, you, out. Uh, what are you doing? I beg your... I beg your pardon. I'm PG Basil... The, uh, well, I don't care if you're the king of China. Sling your hook. Do. How, how very dare you? I'm a multi-award winner. Yeah. bag. yes, I'm sure you are. Now no, hop it. Uh, unhand me, unspeakable rogue. Uh, oh. Ever. Right, uh. out. Out, 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 shoe, good shoe, no, shoe. no, get, no, get off me, no, get off me, unhand me, you unspeakable cad, who, no, you'll be hearing from my agent. Tell it to the Navy. Right, where's my script? No, I don't care what you do with him, Mabel. Chuck him in the cupboard for all I care. And throw his multiple awards after him. <clears throat> Hello, dear listeners. Guess who's back? And now on the light programme, it's time once again for Slumber Time Stories. Read as always by yours truly, Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb. No awards yet, but I'm sure it's only a matter of time. ARC presents part one of Crash Again, Again, by Darren Callow. It had been a mixed bag of fortune for our three heroes following the crash of Sir Grenville Lushthorpe's great rocket in the Gaulish mountains. Fitch had been the worst affected since he had lost an arm for his trouble and lay in a rustic hospital convalescing after more than one operation. The astronomer Carl Shulton had, rather surprisingly, volunteered to set forth for civilization in order to try and bring help should all else fail. In the meantime, Ellen and Mrs Tickle III had found lodgings in a nearby gîte and spent the time pondering how to get back to the pirate's lair in the Nubian desert that, thanks to Tom's children's picture book, they now knew was really Ear Moo B, a giant installation of alien technology designed to project humans and hardware alike to a corresponding apparatus on the moon. In fact, it was through this very book that Ellen was flicking again, with Mrs Tickle purring contentedly on her lap at Fitch's bedside whilst they all awaited the return of Professor Lushthorpe. The aforementioned inventor had taken one look at Fitch's armless predicament and muttered, oh, I could probably do something about that, before promptly disappearing. 
This had been two days ago, and word had reached them that he was intending to call by today with the promised solution. What I don't understand, though, ventured Ellen, for lack of other topics of conversation, is why no one remembers how we defeated the Martians the first time around. Fitch had no particular view on the subject, since he was a mass of stitches, sutras and bandages, and had been dosed up to his eyeballs on morphine. Still, it was rude not to respond, so he grunted his agreement. I mean, it's all here in this kid's picture book. She slowly turned the pages, announcing the contents one after the other. Giant machines to send humans to the moon? Holomotron detecting cats? Much like our lovely Tickle? She rubbed Mrs Tickle III behind the ears, and she murmured happily in response. I mean, who knew they had commandos on the moon? Since absolutely no one did until a mere 34 days ago, the other two just shrugged. So what is the actual thing that defeated their invasion? She flicked again towards the last page, hoping that the book would reveal the answer. There's this brown gas, it seems, she ventured, lingering on a page showing canisters disguised as turnips being detonated in a muddy field full of Martian tripods and simian-piloted quad planes. But the book just describes it as a brown emanation that sends the foe into the land of Nod. Charming for children's bedtime stories, I suppose, but from our point of view, a little more chemical analysis might have been beneficial. She sighed a great sigh of frustration. Why doesn't anyone remember? She posed. Before anyone could offer any further gestures of utter cluelessness, Professor Lushthorpe burst into the room, accompanied by what appeared to be a swarthy pair of Gaulish mechanics, carrying some sort of metal contraption. Eureka! he yelled. Well, I mean, good morning. Uh, you don't smell or anything, dear friends. It's, it's Greek, or uh, double Dutch, or something, which means uh, I fixed it, or you've, you've seen it, or something. Actually, no, doesn't mean either of those things, does it? Uh, uh, what is it again? Good morning, Professor, interrupted Ellen, giggling to herself. How are you today? What? Yes, uh, today? Uh, lovely, thank you, kindly, ranted the Professor. But enough of such trivia. Uh, I've returned with a new thing. And with that, he waved his arms to encourage the surly Gaulish types to enter with the mass of metal and pistons that they placed unceremoniously on the bed, right on Fitch's legs. Oh, growled Fitch. What are you playing at? He was about to hurl the heavy metal machinery off the bed with his one surviving arm, but Lushthorpe quickly stepped in to get them to move the construction. Uh, not there, not there. It's delicate, don't you know? On the side table. With much muttering and gaulish annoyance, the two hands complied, and the contraption was relocated to the metal table. Here it could be taken in more clearly, and it was indeed an odd item. Roughly two and a bit feet long, jointed in two places, and with delicate clockwork mechanisms that were currently motionless. All eyes fell firstly on the machine, but since the function of said inert item could not easily be discerned, said eyes eventually turned back to Lushthorpe, who had struck a pose of exclamation, arms held aloft. Super Brachium Aeus, he announced. 
All eyes continued to stare at him, at the machine, and then back at him. A lack of comprehension obvious if no one thought to voice it. His arms and general demeanour slumped in disappointment. No Latin scholars amongst you? What do you think? muttered Fitch under his breath, between sips of a cup of hot sugary tea. I'm a mercenary. He nodded to Ellen. She's an orphan turned ace pilot, and the other one of us is a cat. He smiled wanly at Mrs Tickle, who shrugged her shoulders insouciantly. Well, quite, quite, very well. Uh, in Anglo-Saxon, then. He turned and raised his arms in benediction again. Behold! The arm! At this declaration, Fitch spat his mouthful of tea all over the nearest mechanic, who was more than a little put out. Once the ghoul had been pacified with six francs and a promise of a new overall, Fitch reluctantly acquiesced to have the new arm fitted. This process took well over an hour, and during that time Ellen wandered the grounds of the hospital whilst Mrs Tickle dove in and out of the shrubbery on important cat business, trying to hatch a plan to get them all back to the mysterious ear-moo installation in the desert. Finally, the cry went out that it was time for the great wind-up, and they both trotted back excitedly to Fitch's room. There they found the grizzled mercenary, stripped to the waist, propped up in his bed, with a new mechanical arm attached via various straps, buckles and wires to his right arm stump. He was looking extremely dubiously at the appendage, as though some quack was trying to convince him that their snake oil could heal all his problems. So how does it work, then? He snarled. Well, uh, well, I'm, I'm just about to tell you that, dear boy chattered Lushthorpe with manic excitement, reaching forward with a large screwdriver to make a last-minute adjustment. Fitch batted him away with his left arm. Well, get on with it then. It's already itching, he moaned, clearly not too comfortable. Right, right, garbled Lushthorpe, clearly getting a bit flustered. Uh, so one winds it here. He pointed to a large folding winder near the shoulder. OK, uh, that seems simple enough, chirped Ellen. Keen to see it in action. And here, he pointed just below that point. Right, muttered Fitch, straining to see. And here, and here. He continued to point with the screwdriver at locations of increasingly smaller winders that were much harder to see. Ellen leaned closer, scratching her head. And here, and, and here, and here. At this point, Fitch was rolling his eyes back in his head, and even Ellen's enthusiasm was being stretched to its limits. And here, Lushthorpe appeared to conclude. Fitch sighed loudly. Oh, is that it? Yes, yes, chided Lushthorpe, sounding annoyed. No, oh, wait, no, he added, having pulled some rough scribbled notes from the pocket of his lab coat. Uh, also here, and here, and here. He looked further, turning the notes three different ways, and trying two different pairs of reading spectacles. And here. Is that all the winding required? Asked Fitch, with a barely disguised note of sarcasm. Why, certainly, responded Lushthorpe, sounding put out. Mind you, he added, you do also need to pump here and here, and spin up this gyroscope. 
Seeing that Fitch was beginning to lose the will to live, at this point Ellen moved in to try and ease the tension a little. Have you written all of this down, Professor? She chirped in her usual ebullient way. Well, uh, most of it, confessed the Professor. I, I had to improvise a bit, so some things are still a work in progress. He tried to advance a second time with the screwdriver, but Fitch pushed him away again. Uh, well, uh, I'll improve it all when we're back in Albion. Anyway, I'd better get winding. And with that, he handed the screwdriver to Ellen, and this time Fitch let him approach, and the tedious business of winding, pumping, and indeed spinning up the clockwork arm mechanism began. I'm not sure we're going back to New Albion any time soon, proffered Ellen, as much to distract them as to announce any kind of plan. We have to find Ear Moo B and get to the moon, she continued, staring into the middle distance out of the hospital room window, not particularly noticing if anyone was listening. Ear Moo what? queried Fitch, in a non-too-subtle way. Ellen, however, didn't hear the question, as her staring had finally alighted on something that made her jump with excitement. Never you mind, she grinned, turning back to them, her arm pointing to something out through the window. I've just seen how we can do it. And with that, she grabbed her coat and disappeared out of the wardroom. Well, it does feel good to be back, although it's not quite the return I had in mind. As a matter of interest, Mabel, what actually was the answer to this week's quiz? Oh my goodness, really? I'm not sure we would even have been able to broadcast that. Good night, New Albion. I wish you dreams of a future filled with conflagrations of semi-sentient demons mixed with weeping mortal flesh, morthing with time betwixt strata of an unholy, vengeful god. and characters created by and copyright to Darren Callum. All music by Charlotte Saviger. Tales of New Albion is available to buy from the Amazon online stores or via Bandcamp where the soundtrack album is also available. For more information go to www.talesofnewalbion.com 
or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production for Albion Radiophonic Corporation. Yeah.